Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by BetFriend Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I'm your host, and this is the show where we talk all things Final Four. The road will end there, and the college basketball season just continues to fly by. After this weekend wrapped up, we have just about only two weeks remaining in the regular season, and then we will get to the conference tournaments. We'll get to the big dance, the NCAA tournament, and you guys know that we are going to be talking all things college basketball throughout the next few weeks on this show, and we have a loaded episode for you guys. It was a great weekend of college basketball, the first weekend without football, where really everyone's focus started shifting towards college basketball, and I know we had the NBA All-Star Game. Shout out to former Georgetown and Texas Tech legend Mac McClung for winning the slam dunk contest, but it's time to talk some college basketball, and there are so many different things to talk about, right? We are going to get to Kansas and their crazy second half comeback win over Baylor. We're going to get to Kentucky and the weekend they had. They picked up probably their biggest win of the season, beating the Tennessee Volunteers for the second time already. And that was straight off Tennessee beating Alabama, who at the time was the number one ranked team in the country. We're going to get into TCU. They're healthy. They have a big game tonight against Kansas. But we have to start with the game we saw yesterday in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the NC State Wolfpack. They got some revenge on their in-state rival Tar Heels as they beat up UNC and get the victory by a final score of 77-69. And it was an interesting game because it was very close throughout the game, but in the end, in the final six, seven minutes, North Carolina State did a really good job taking control and never looked back. And this was a huge game, not only because it's a rivalry game, right? Every time North Carolina and NC State get together on the basketball court. It's always going to be a rivalry game. But North Carolina, the team that, yes, they came into this season as the number one ranked team in the country, the preseason number one. With this loss, they're now 0-9 in Quadrant 1 games, and their only win over a team that's ranked in the top 50 of the net was over the same NC State team. And the point is, and this was before yesterday, it's even worse now, if this team wasn't named North Carolina, they wouldn't even be in the bubble conversation right now. They get a lot of brand recognition because of their name. They also probably get a lot of recognition because this is a team that was only a couple minutes away from winning the whole thing last year and brought a majority of their team back. But at the end of the day, when you watch the North Carolina Tar Heels right now, they do not look like an NCAA tournament team. And they are in position right now to make some history. They have a chance 
to become the num- the first team ever to be ranked number one in the country in the preseason and miss the NCAA tournament. Now, there are a couple other examples uh, in terms of teams that something similar has happened to them. Since 1985, two times has the preseason uh, team that was ranked number one not get a top four seed in the NCAA tournament, and that was 2000 UConn and 2014 Kentucky. Both those teams ended up having a lot more success than this UNC is on uh, track to have, though. 2000 UConn, they were a five seed, and 2014 Kentucky, they actually made it kind of similarly to North Carolina last year, all the way to the national championship game. And I think we have to have a conversation about Hubert Davis, right? Because I was really surprised and honestly shocked when North Carolina decided to hire Hubert after uh, Roy Williams announced his retirement. And as time went on, it did make sense considering Hubert was under Roy Williams for a while. He worked under him. He's the nicest guy in the world. Uh, Roy Williams wanted to keep that job in the Carolina family. He thought Hubert was going to be a great guy to take over. And it's interesting because Hubert Davis going into last season, guys like Caleb Love, guys like RJ Davis, guys like Armando Baycott, guys like Leaky Black, all of those guys were already there and played obviously under Hubert as an assistant, but Roy Williams was really the main head coach that got those guys into the program. So even though last season was Hubert's first year, North Carolina still entered the season with very high expectations because they had a super talented roster and there's North Carolina. It doesn't matter who's your coach, what number year he's in, there are always going to be high expectations at North Carolina. And early on in the season, my, I don't want to say skeptical, but my questions of the Hubert Davis hire, they looked apparent, right? North Carolina, they're getting blown out by Miami. They're getting blown out by Wake Forest. They're losing to Tennessee uh, and Purdue in in, uh, Mohegan Sun. North Carolina was very disappointing, and they didn't even have a quadrant one victory until late February last year, around this time. And they ended up finally getting that victory. They went on the road into Virginia Tech and won. But everything really changed when they went on the road the last game of the regular season to Cameron Indoor Stadium and beat Duke in just shocking fashion because that was – Mike Krzyzewski's last home game at Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium and North Carolina ruined it. And they used that momentum and they had an epic march. They blow out Marquette in the opening round of the big dance. They beat Baylor in an epic, crazy NCAA tournament game in the round of 32 when Brady Manick gets ejected midway through the second half and North Carolina had a a 20-point lead or so. Manick couldn't miss he gets ejected and the whole game changes. It goes to overtime and somehow, some way, North Carolina finds a way to win. I still don't know how they did that. They beat UCLA in the Sweet 16. Caleb Love, he's going nuts. They beat St. Peter's. They are finally the team that was able to knock off the Cinderella story of St. Peter's in the Elite Eight. And then they get to the Final Four and who's sitting there waiting for them? You guessed it, Duke. And a lot of North Carolina fans thought we just went into Cameron Indoor Stadium and beat Coach K in his last home game. Can it get much better than this? And the answer is yes, because they beat Duke again in the Final Four on just an epic Caleb Love shot to put the game away, to put North Carolina up four. And the Tar Heels even had a 15 or so point lead in the national championship game against Kansas in the first half. Unfortunately, they couldn't hold on, and we know what ended up happening. The Jayhawks come away 
with the national championship. But because of that epic run they had, because of the talent on this team, everyone was back besides Brady Manick, but they did add Pete Nance, former first-team All-Big Ten type player, uh, grad transfer from Northwestern. He comes in, and he was looking like a really reasonable and good idea as a replacement for Manick. But when you watch North Carolina this season, we're watching a replica, like a pretty similar version to what we saw last season. And really, for the whole Hubert Davis era in just about two seasons now, besides that one epic run and, and hot streak they had in the month of March, this North Carolina team has been very disappointing. And the frustrating part is the talent here is not the issue, right? Caleb Love, RJ Davis, Baycott, they even have some really good young players that are coming off the bench who still don't really get a major opportunity, like a Seth Trimble, like a Tyler Nickel, like a DeMarco Dunn, like a Dontre Styles, who uh, I like Styles. Like he showed some flashes in the big dance last year, but hasn't really gotten a consistent opportunity this year. And the, the Iron Five really did a good job for North Carolina during that tournament run. And that's fine in a tournament setting. I think you could definitely make the argument that benches are a little bit overrated. But in the regular season, you can't have just a primarily six-man rotation. You need more than that. And unfortunately, North Carolina doesn't have it. And when you watch this group, there's just a lot to be desired. They don't play with a lot of energy. They never look like they enjoy playing with each other, which is a major problem in a sport like college basketball, where a lot of it is built on chemistry. And it's just so weird because this North Carolina team is full of upperclassmen and they have experience playing with each other. Caleb Love, RJ Davis, Armando Baycott. These, this is now their third year playing together and still the chemistry looks off. That's a major problem. They don't look bought in. And there is one, a few stats in this game that really opened my eyes. Number one, NC State, for the majority of the game, they only had one turnover. And when I say the majority of the game, I say until the game was really wrapped up. I mentioned earlier, the Wolfpack really pulled away uh, in about with about six, seven minutes remaining. They, they went on a big run and really wrapped the game up. And NC State, a team that plays really fast, really quick, at a high pace, they take a, a ton of shots. They make some risky passes. And still, North Carolina was not able to take advantage of that once. They did it one time in the important parts of the game, which is a major issue. And when I watched NC State, they just looked like the better team. And uh, as I also mentioned, North Carolina, the, the only quadrant one victory they have this season is over NC State. That game came at home. That game came about a month ago, and nothing has gone right for the Tar Heels since. They still don't have a quadrant one victory, and it's looking like they are in a really good position to be the first team in the history of college basketball to be ranked number one in the preseason top 25 and not even make the NCAA tournament. Now, luckily for them, they still do have a chance. They're going to end the season with two very winnable road games against opponents they have to beat at Notre Dame, at Florida State, that Notre Dame game will be this week on Wednesday. That will be the next time we see the Tar Heels in action. And then they have two other home games the next two Saturdays against Virginia and Duke, probably along with Miami, the two best teams in the ACC right now. And I think North Carolina, if they want to be comfortable going into Selection Sunday, they're going to have to win those four games, all of them, go 4-0, because one loss on the road even though it's on the road, you're playing in Notre Dame and Florida State, two of the pretty bad teams in the ACC. And then you're hosting Duke or Virginia. You're going to need those wins to boost up your tournament resume. Again, UNC 
still does not have a quadrant one win. And if their jersey didn't say North Carolina, if their jersey color, color wasn't powder blue, I'm confident this UNC team would not even be close to the bubble right now. And if you're Hubert Davis, if you miss the NCAA tournament, I'm not saying your job is going to be in jeopardy, but there's going to be some major, major pressure on you going into year three. And honestly, I think there's already some major pressure on him right now, considering this Tar Heel team is 16 and 11 without a quadrant one victory. And they are looking like very realistically, they could miss the NCAA tournament. That's a major issue, especially with the talent on this team. And I get it. The ACC is a really down league. They're there technically are going to be, you know, six, seven teams that make the NCAA tournament, but the bottom of the league is so bad where if you just take one of those losses, your numbers and your metrics are just going to plummet. So North Carolina still has not won a quadrant one game in the ACC. They didn't win one last season till around this time, which is a major problem, especially for the talent this team has. And I think when you look at Hubert Davis, if North Carolina doesn't make the NCAA tournament and this continues, we could definitely be having a conversation about the pressure that he's going to be going into uh, next year because I don't think he's going to be fired. I think those two victories over Duke to end the regular season and in the final four last year, that did so much for this North Carolina team. A lot of fans, and I, I totally see where they're coming from, said it ended the rivalry with Duke. And you could absolutely make the case it did considering I'm not really sure what else Duke could do, even if they beat North Carolina 50 times in a row, that could match just the angst and the stakes in knocking out Coach K, giving him his final two losses of his career at his own house to end the Coach K era at Cameron Indoor Stadium, and then in the final four to knock him out for good. Hubert Davis luckily does have those two moments he can hang his hat on, but maybe, just maybe, this is like an Ed Orgeron situation at LSU. He wins the national championship, And just two years later, he's fired. Am I saying that's going to happen? No, but I'm not going to lie. This is starting to look like a similar trajectory. And I'm hoping Hubert could figure it out. And hopefully, I think it's better for the sport, especially with this group. We know their names. We know what North Carolina has the potential to do in a tournament setting. I'm really hoping they could get in. These two games against Duke and Virginia will be key. Moving on to the next segment of today's show, there is a game in the Big 12 that occurred on Saturday I did have some thoughts on, and this was a big one, a game between two top 10 teams, a a game between two teams that a lot of people do think have realistic national championship aspirations because these are the last two teams that have cut down the nets and have won the NCAA tournament. Number nine, Baylor, going into number five, Kansas at the Fog, and the Jayhawks ended up getting the victory 87 to 71 and what a game this was and the script was just crazy. I know a lot of people have uh spoken about the NFL possibly being scripted. I don't know if college basketball is down that same path. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm sure uh, everyone has seen the script memes on Twitter, but Baylor couldn't miss in the first half. And a lot of people that are high on this Baylor team, the reason for that is because I'm not sure if there's a better trio of guards in all of college basketball than their trio of Adam Flagler, Keontae George, and LJ Cryer. And those three guys uh, combined for 37 of the 71 Baylor points, or I'm sorry, 57 of the uh, 71 Baylor points, 57 out of the 71 points for Baylor. And in the first half, they literally couldn't miss. Keontae George is out here hitting NBA shot after NBA shot after NBA shot from long distance range. He literally couldn't miss. But the thing that worried me 
all season about this Baylor team, as great as these guards are, right? Because this isn't the first time in the first half of this game where we've seen Baylor's guards just completely take over. And in Baylor's credit, going into this Kansas game, they were playing some really good basketball, right? They won four games in a row, including a road win over TCU. And this is a Baylor team that not only started off Big 12 play 0-3, but prior to that four-game winning streak, they had a six-game or a five-game winning streak of their own. So Baylor came into this game of as winners of nine out of their last 10. And in the first half, it was looking like they literally were just not going to miss the entire night. And they had a 16-point halftime lead. But Kansas outscores them 55-26 to in the second half. Dewan Harris, like he's been for Kansas all year, he's the key. He's a winning player, and he had a really good game, a really good performance for the Jayhawks. He finishes in 37 minutes of play with 14 points, 9 assists, 6 of 8 from the floor, 2 of 2 from 3. And really, when we look at this Kansas team since the beginning of the season, for all year, Jalen Wilson has consistently been the go-to guy for this Jayhawk team. And when he's not at his best, usually that is when Kansas gets themselves into trouble. But the key for this Jayhawk team is getting enough production around him. And in this game against Baylor, that's exactly what happened. Brady, Grady Dick, he finishes with 16 points, shoots two of nine from three. So the volume was a lot, six of 18 from the floor. But when he's scoring, that's when Kansas is at their best. KJ Adams, a guy who, even though he didn't have a huge role, he was on that national championship team last year. He finishes with 17-4-3. Wilson finishes with 21. They even got some uh, solid bench production from Body Pettiford and Erdis Uday. Those guys combined for 10 points. Yesifu, he's been looking better for Kansas. And my main takeaway from this game, and especially from the second half, that saw Kansas outscore Baylor 55-26, to is even though the Jayhawks have had their struggles at times this season during Big 12 play. They've won four games in a row, but prior to that, they uh, had a little bit of a schneid. They uh, did lose three games in a row in mid-January when they lost at Kansas State. They lost to TCU at home. They lost uh, to Baylor on the road, and then Kansas was able to go on the road into Kentucky during the Big 12 SEC Challenge, come away with the victory. They beat Kansas State at home. They then lose to Iowa State. They counter that by winning four games in a row, and they just have a monster game tonight going on the road to Fort Worth to take on the now healthy TCU Horned Frogs. That's going to be just a monster, monster game. But Kansas is a team, and I'm usually not someone that goes down this path. I think it is just so hard to win, let alone one national championship in college basketball. It's very hard to win two and repeat, right? We haven't seen a team repeat since the 2007 2008 Florida Gators, and those teams were loaded with a great coach in Billy Donovan and just future pro after future pro after future pro. And I understand, like, this is also part of the reason why going into the season, I was just a little bit down on Kansas. And it's funny because a bunch of these guys actually came back to school uh, this past week with the NBA All-Star Weekend happening and no games. But Oshai Abaji, Christian Braun, David McCormick, Remy Martin, these guys were elite go-to players for this Jayhawks team last season, and they lost them. And I didn't know if Bill Self had enough to get this Kansas team back to playing at an elite level. But between Dewan Harris, his, his championship experience, Jalen Wilson turning into an absolute superstar, uh, and his championship experience, Grady Dick, 
a go-to freshman that could produce consistently. He is a big-time player that's going to be a top 15 pick in the NBA draft. KJ Adams, he's really stepped up. We usually know Bill Self's team to be really good with size and a dominant big man like Yudoka Azabuki, like Perry Ellis, like David McCormick. But KJ Adams, although he's very skilled, he's only 6'7", and still Bill Self is making it work. And he is, in my opinion, the best coach in the country. There's no one more that I trust than him just to make the proper adjustments. And I know that's crazy because for the longest time, everyone just labeled Bill Self as a great regular season coach that can't break through in the tournament. But now he has two national championship rings. He went to the Final Four also in 2018, beating Duke on his way there. And he is just an elite, elite basketball coach. And Kansas in that second half, man, 55 to 26, they outscore Baylor. Uh, Four of the five starters are in double digits. Just an insane effort. A great game from Kansas. And Baylor in the first half, they shot the ball uh, out of the roof. They couldn't have played better. But then in the second half, they went cold. Their defense really let them down. And there are a few groups of, there's a group of a few teams in college basketball that, their guards are really good. And a lot of times to have success in March, that's one important key component that you're going to need, like your guards being able to produce, especially when the game slows down, creating a big shot in, in the biggest moment. Like that's not something every team has. But when I look at teams like Baylor, when I look at a team like Miami, I would even throw like Xavier, Marquette in this conversation. Those are all teams with really good guards, but I have some concerns on the defensive end. And Baylor – I feel like they would probably be labeled the best of those teams, but this team just plays no defense. And the key to that Baylor team two years ago that ended up going all the way and winning a national championship, not only were their their guards great on offense, they could shoot the crap out of the ball, but Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague and Jared Butler, even a Mark Vital on the defensive side of the floor, those guys were so important. And Jonathan Chamwachashua, I understand he just came back and it's great to see him back out there on the basketball floor after suffering just a devastating knee injury uh, in February last season. That's about a year ago now, but it's going to take him some time. If at, if he ever does get back to that same player uh, that, that we saw, that's how devastating that injury was. And even though he's remade his game a little bit, he could shoot threes now, which is great, but he just doesn't have that same athleticism or that same burst yet that we're so used to seeing him have. And as good as these Baylor guards are, if you just can't get stops consistently, I have a tough time seeing you have some success in the NCAA tournament. And I'm telling you guys right now, we all know how good of a conference the Big 12 is between, excuse me, between Kansas and Baylor and Texas, Iowa State and Kansas State. They've had great seasons. But I think the two Big 12 teams that I trust the most in the NCAA tournament are the two teams we're going to see play in Texas tonight, Kansas and TCU. And I know um, they they had a tough loss this past weekend. And by tough, I mean a big loss against TCU. But I actually think Oklahoma State is a sleeper team out of the Big 12 that I can see doing some uh, big things in the NCAA tournament. They have a great guard combo of Bryce Thompson and Caleb Boone that have just been scoring the ball at a ridiculous clip. I think Mike Boynton is one of the more underrated coaches in college basketball. And it's only a matter of time before he breaks through on a deep NCAA tournament run. So 
I think Oklahoma State is a team I'm really going to watch. They have a big game tonight on the road at West Virginia. The Mountaineers, they could be playing for their NCAA tournament lives after losing just a bad, bad game at home to Texas Tech. When you're in West Virginia's position and a lot of your tournament equity is based on your metrics and your numbers, that is a game that you just can't afford to lose. And the thing about the Big 12 is the conference is so good where you could be a team like Texas Tech that has just really struggled for the majority of the season, but all of a sudden you find a way to turn it on, and here you are. They're getting healthier as well. Pop Isaac and Fardaz Amak both back in the lineup uh, for that big victory over West Virginia. And that Oklahoma State-West Virginia game tonight, that is going to be a big one. Baylor, their next game will be tomorrow night on the road at Kansas State. That's not going to be an easy game. Uh, Kansas State had a nice victory on Saturday over Iowa State behind a big second half from Marquise Noel. But Kansas State also went into Waco and beat Baylor earlier this season. So did TCU for that matter. Now, Baylor was able to get some payback on TCU for that game. It'll be interesting to see if they'll be able to go on the road to Manhattan, a very tough place to play and get the win. But Baylor just has to start playing defense. And I know that's crazy to sound considering just how good they've been on the defensive end over the course of the last few seasons. But Kansas just shredded them in the second half. And I know they looked elite in the first half, but giving up 87 points, that's always a concern, especially if you want to go on a deep run in the NCAA tournament. So Kansas, I think they showed in that game on Saturday why I trust them more in a big game, in a big setting than Baylor. But the Bears are definitely going to be a trendy team that a lot of people are going to pick to go far in the big dance based on their dynamic guard play. But for me, until they show they can get consistent stops, I'm out on the Bears for now. So before we move on from the Big 12, I did have some thoughts on TCU. And it's so funny with the Horned Frogs, right? Because this is a typical team that every year in college basketball, I feel like we have at least two or three of them, right? Where they get to the NCAA tournament and they do some good things or They don't even have to get to the tournament. They can miss it. I I know we've seen that before, too. But there are plenty of teams that play well one season but are nowhere close to their ultimate ceiling or goal. And then they just bring everyone back. And it's always different, like, the results going into the next season. I remember... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's funny, Northwestern, right? They're probably going to make only their second NCAA tournament appearance in the the history of that program this season. But the first time they made the tournament back in 2017, the following season, they brought just about everyone back from Brian McIntosh to Scotty uh, Lindsay to Vic Law, Derek Pardon, Chris Collins, the coach was still there. They brought back basically that whole team, minus Sanjay Lompkin, who is a pretty important role player. It actually turned out he was way more important than we realized because Northwestern went from tournament team to missing the NCAA tournament and being pretty irrelevant pretty quickly. And we always wonder, like, when we have a team in that situation, are they going to be that like Northwestern or are they going to be Auburn when they made the final four? In uh, 2019, the team in 2018, now they won the SEC regular season title. So we knew that Auburn team was very good as well. But 
uh, Auburn, they ended up making the final four after bringing just about everyone back. So when you have a team full of returners, it is always a different result. And I think we're really starting to see with this TCU team that made the big dance last year. They won their first round tournament game in convincing fashion over Seton Hall. And we forget TCU had Arizona, the Wildcats. Yeah, the same team that had two NBA first round draft picks last season and a second round pick in Christian Coloco with uh, also had Matherin and Dalen Terry as first round picks. TCU really should have beat that Arizona team in the round of 32 last season. They had them on the ropes. They had a three-point lead in the final 10 seconds, but Ben Matherin, who is looking like one of the best rookies in the NBA right now, hit a clutch pull-up three with a hand in his face to send the game to overtime, and Arizona ended up getting the victory. TCU brought back everyone from that squad, including Mike Miles, including Eddie Lampkin, the big man who just feasted in that game, Damian Ball, Charles O'Bannon, Xavier Cork, Jacoby Coles, TCU has everyone back just about from that team last season. And it was a big, pretty popular debate and topic of conversation. How good would this TCU team be exactly? And I know also that Jamie Dixon in the past has struggled a little bit in the NCAA tournament. That's why Pitt got rid of him and kind of similar to Northwestern Pitt under Jeff Capel. They're having their first really good season in a while, really since Jamie Dixon left. And since Dixon has been at TCU, this Horn Frog program has done things that they haven't really done ever. That includes getting to the number one ranked team in the country back in 2017, 2018. That includes winning an NCAA tournament game last year and getting to the big dance as well in 2018. Like this is the best stretch TCU basketball has seen in a really long time, maybe ever. And that is coming to a full hash this season with TCU in my opinion, they're one of the 10 best teams in the country when they're healthy. They're a legitimate NBA team in transition. And what they did to Oklahoma State, as soon as Mike Miles comes back, this team is back, is rolling. They're looking like their old selves. Eddie Lampkin also did play 14 minutes in this game. A good, good game for him just to get him back on the floor. But when he ramps up, that's when this TCU team is really going to be at their best. And they just have a monster, monster home game coming up tonight, Monday night against Kansas. I cannot wait for that one big Monday in the big 12, but between Mike miles, Damian ball, Micah Peavy, he had 10 points in TCU's victory over Oklahoma state. You also had Chuck O'Bannon. He played well. He had 12 points. He's adjusting to that new bench role. He actually hit the game winning three at Baylor to give the horned frogs a victory over the bears. Like keep in mind, everyone in the big 12 talks up Baylor and Kansas as the two best teams. And I totally get why those are the last two national champion winners as we've said earlier on the show, but keep in mind that TCU went into Baylor and won to open up big 12 play. That was actually their second big 12 game, but TCU went into Baylor and won, and they went into the fog and won. And we know that Bill Self does not lose at home. And by the way, still one of the craziest records and stats in sports right now is that Bill Self at home on big Monday is 35 and 0 or 36 and 0 after Kansas's uh, recent victory over Texas. But Luckily for the Horn Frogs, tonight's game is in their place at uh, at uh, the Showmeyer Arena in Fort Worth. So TCU, Kansas, I cannot wait for that game tonight. Nine o'clock Eastern on ESPN. That is going to be a monster game at Showmeyer Arena. 
And I think TCU could get the win there. I know Kansas has won four games in a row. They're playing great basketball, but I'm not in the business of betting against Mike Miles, Damian Ball, and the TCU team that we just score, saw score 100 points. This is a legitimate NBA team in transition. They are just absurd when they get in transition. And that's a credit to Jamie Dixon, who has really ramped up the pace for this team, knowing that shooting the three ball isn't necessarily their biggest strength. And they're also going to be a team that's probably going to be like at their best, I would say a three, four seed in the NCAA tournament. But I think they're as good as a one or two seed because they are one in five in their last six games. But that's also all without Mike Miles in the six games that he, since he got hurt. And we all know the Big 12 is a gauntlet. They lost to Oklahoma State. They lost to TCU. They lost to Baylor. Or, uh, they lost to Iowa State. And I meant to say TCU lost to Kansas State, not losing themselves. Excuse me, but TCU, they lost to Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Baylor, Iowa State. These are all really good teams. And the Horned Frogs will close out their season hosting Kansas at Texas Tech hosting Texas at Oklahoma, I'm saying it right now, and I said it earlier, as good as this Big 12 conference is, there are two, maybe three teams I trust to go on a deep NCAA tournament run in March, and it's Kansas and TCU. I think Texas could eventually get there. I just don't necessarily know if I could trust Rodney Terry as a head coach in these big games, but he's going to have the opportunity to remove that interim tag and really take over as the full-time head coach with a deep tournament run. So he knows just how high and how important these games are going to be. And Oklahoma State is the other team I mentioned to you guys. I know TCU just blew them out by 25 points, but the combination of Bryce Thompson and Kayla Boone playing in March, that is a dangerous combination. Those two guys can get buckets, but I am all in on this TCU team. I think we're going to see them make a statement tonight and show everyone against Kansas just how good they are. And now that they have Mike Miles and Eddie Lampkin back, watch out. I've always thought Jamie Dixon was an underrated coach. The fact that Pitt drove him out of town, it's pretty messed up. I know that he struggled to break through in the NCAA tournament, but Pitt has just not been the same program since he left. Luckily, Jeff Cable looks like he finally has that thing back up and running. But what Jamie Dixon has done with TCU, it's really impressive. And I'm a big believer in this Horn Frogs group. Okay, before we move on to the last and final segment of the show, we want to thank our presenting sponsor and the sponsor of all things Aaron Torres Media, Betfred Sportsbook. Betfred is one of Europe's biggest sports books with over 1,600 shops in the UK and have recently come to the US and have made a splash in a big way. They are now the official betting partner of the Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, and now the Cincinnati Bengals. More importantly, they're the perfect partner for us here at the College Hoops Daily Podcast because they do more for their customers than anyone out there. Betfred has VIP tailgates at Broncos games, Betfred Suite at Bengals games, and no one gives out more free bonuses than Betfred. As a matter of fact, we have a special offer for our listeners and first-time users. Bet $50 on any College Hoops game and get $250 back in free bets courtesy of Betfred Sportsbook. To learn more, visit BetfredSportsbook.com. Now, there was one other result from yesterday I wanted to get into, and that was Kentucky, Tennessee in the SEC. And this was a massive game for Kentucky, considering really, when you look at their resume, they do have the victory over Tennessee in Knoxville, which is a huge victory. And we thought at a point that could be the one that finally turns Kentucky's season around. And they played pretty well 
after that game, collecting some nice wins over Texas A&M. Uh, they beat Florida at home. Kentucky had some nice wins, but they struggled recently as well, losing on the road to Georgia, losing at home to Kansas, also losing at home to Arkansas. Kentucky has been a little hit or miss lately, and this was a game they really needed. Now, Tennessee, on the other hand, they were coming fresh off of a big-time victory over Alabama, who at the time was ranked number one in the country. And the thing that was really impressive about that win for Tennessee was the fact that they didn't have neither Josiah Jordan-James or Julian Phillips, who are two of their premier wings uh, so far this season. So those, those two guys were a big loss, and that was a big win for Kentucky because they only had three, or going into this game, they only had two quadrant one wins all year. One of them was, I just mentioned it, at Tennessee in Knoxville. And the other one just came a few days ago when they went on the road to Starkville and beat Chris Jans and the Mississippi State Bulldogs, who right now they would be right on the bubble. If you, uh, depending on whose bracket you look at, and some they would be in and some they would out be out. Mississippi State is a team that is squarely on the bubble right now, but that was a big win for Kentucky going on the road to Starkville and getting that victory. And the key to Kentucky might just be Case and Wallace, right? Because he hit a little bit of a freshman wall uh, earlier, but he played great on Saturday against Tennessee. He was the best player on the court in that game, not only for Kentucky, but really for both teams. And it's interesting because Oscar Shibwe, he's been really good this season, uh, especially when you look at his numbers, but he isn't necessarily the same exact guy we saw last season that won National Player of the Year. And I feel like at times, Kaysen Wallace is just the key to this Kentucky team. He's also struggled with some injuries. It has not been an easy season for Kentucky, but Wallace finishes in 39 minutes with 16 points, six rebounds, six assists. He shoots uh, six of 14 from the field, and he had a really good game. And it is becoming more and more evident to me that Kentucky is at their best when Kaysen Wallace is at their best. And one interesting thing we've spoken a lot about with Kentucky throughout the course of the season is that when you compare this Kentucky roster to just some of the better rosters John Calipari has had in recent years, it isn't necessarily up to the same level of talent. Like there's no John Wall, there's no DeMarcus Cousins, there's no Carl Anthony Towns, there's no Devin Booker per se on this Kentucky team. But Cason Wallace is going to be a guy who has a great NBA career. He's one of the best defenders in college basketball. He's tough. He's very skilled on the offensive side of the ball as well. And when he's going, Kentucky fi- or Cal Perry finally realized it about a month ago that Kentucky needs to have the ball in his hands more than Xavier Wheeler. And as good as Wheeler is, he led the SEC in assists per game each of the last few seasons. But Wallace is just that guy for Kentucky. Also, C.J. Frederick did not play in this game for Big Blue. That was a big loss, but Chris Livingston, he's really stepped up. He played a great game, 12 points and 10 rebounds in 37 minutes for the freshmen. So the two Kentucky freshmen primarily, the guys that we heard all summer about, Wallace and Livingston, those two guys really played great for Kentucky on Saturday, leading to the 66-54 victory for Big Blue over Tennessee. And Kentucky's one of those teams because it's so interesting, right? It's been a very frustrating season. They're losing games in non-conference play that we may have expected them to lose, but just the way they lost was really disappointing, especially after the way last season went. And really the last two years have gone, right? You know, Kentucky, it's kind of, it was looking like a downward trajectory a little bit. They don't make the NCAA tournament in 2021, which is something that rarely happens in Lexington. 
Last year, they had a great regular season. They got a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. And last year's team, I think, was really good. But it almost doesn't even matter because they lost in the first round to number 15 seeded St. Peter's. Like St. Peter's. I still don't know how the Peacocks and Shaheen Holloway ended up winning that game, but they did. So last season was a failure. And then Kentucky opens up this season. They're losing to Michigan State in the Champions Classic. They're losing to Gonzaga in blowout fashion. They're losing to UCLA at Madison Square Garden. And then SEC play starts. They're getting run off the floor by Missouri. They're getting run off the floor by Alabama. They're losing at home to South Carolina. But really, that South Carolina game has been a major turning point for this Kentucky team. They follow that up by beating Tennessee on the road. They beat Georgia. They beat AM. They go on the road to Vanderbilt and win, which all of a sudden is actually looking like a pretty decent win. Jerry Stackhouse and company, shout out to them. They just had another uh, big home victory over Auburn uh, this past weekend. They've beat Arkansas at home as well. Like Vanderbilt going to Memorial Gym, that is not an easy place to play these days. And they lost to Kansas at home, Kentucky did. They lost to Arkansas at home. And the Georgia loss on on Tuesday or on Saturday of last week, that was not ideal. But Kentucky has really followed that up, going to Mississippi State and winning. That's not an easy game. Mississippi State needed that game. They're competing for the NCAA tournament, and they're one of the best defenses in the country. Kentucky won that game, put up 71 points. Not bad. They beat Tennessee at home. I know that Tennessee might not be as good as the numbers say they are, and I don't really consider them as a legitimate national championship contender but the Vols are a dangerous team and one of the better teams in the SEC and the fact that Kentucky has beaten them twice now those are the two games that are really going to put Kentucky as it looks like right now in the big dance they still have work to do Kentucky will end the season at Florida hosting Auburn hosting Vandy and going on the road to Arkansas will be interesting to see if Kentucky is able to get any payback against Arkansas uh, for what the Hogs did in Lexington only a couple weeks ago. But John Calipari, I understand why we like to harp on him, right, and why we like to get on him and bust his chops a little bit. Because when you're making the amount of money he is, especially when you're coaching at a place like the University of Kentucky, I totally understand that the expectations are always going to be really high. And not everything has gone right. As a matter of fact, not a lot of things it's felt like has really gone right for this Kentucky team so far this season. But at the end of the day, they are eight and three since that embarrassing home loss to South Carolina, where it really felt like rock bottom. And Kentucky is right now currently tied with Tennessee for third and fourth in the SEC. If the SEC tournament started today, Kentucky would be the number three seed, which for all things considered is not that bad. So when it comes to John Calipari, I know it's easy to have our critiques of him, but even in his worst season, Kentucky is still most likely going to make the NCAA tournament. They're in third place in the SEC. And this is a Wildcat team that honestly, I would just have no interest in seeing in the month of March because Chibwe, obviously very good. Wallace, obviously very good. They have shooters in Reeves and hopefully... C.J. Frederick could get healthy. And when you look at Kentucky compared to a lot of these other teams across the country, there aren't a ton that scare you as much as they do. And I know they've had some troubles. I know we could get on John Calipari for how good of an X's and O's and in-game coach he is. But Calipari usually has his teams ready to go and bought in and just playing their best basketball at the right time. And the one thing with Kentucky last year, it was the opposite. It was a script that we weren't really used to. Kentucky played some really good basketball during the regular season last year, including going on the road during the Big 12 SEC Challenge 
to Fog Allen Fieldhouse and slapping the eventual national champion, Kansas Jayhawks. Kentucky dominated that game from start to finish. And Kentucky really peaked by like mid-February. If you've been watching college basketball long enough and you've been following the sport closely, the one thing you realize is you have to play your best basketball at the most ideal time. And the reason why it's so hard to win consistently in the month of March in college basketball is because you can't really control that. Like in an ideal world, you want to have your team playing their best basketball in the month of March around this time of year, late February, but it really is just not that easy. And we saw that with Kentucky last year when they looked like the no doubt best team in the country going on the road to Kansas and win. Uh, They had uh, some, some nice victories uh, last season as well, beating Alabama in, in blowout fashion and Kentucky it didn't even matter because in the NCAA tournament, they lost in the first round of St. Peter's, also got knocked out by Tennessee in the SEC tournament. So this Wildcat team, maybe just maybe, these two wins, Mississippi State and Tennessee. I'm not sure if Kentucky has had a better two-game stretch so far this year, and I'm looking at their schedule. They haven't. Kentucky has not won back-to-back games to the magnitude of Tennessee and Uh, Mississippi State and Kentucky will end their season the next two games at Florida hosting Auburn before the host Vandy and go to Arkansas to end the season. I understand why we like to get on John Calipari, but even in a season where it feels like everything has gone wrong, Kentucky is still right in the middle of the thick of things. And the SEC, it's been a little bit of a down year there. I I understand there are six first year uh, head coaches that are still trying to figure everything out, but the SEC, it has not been a great season. A couple of teams at the top aren't necessarily who I expected them to be either. I think we could even throw Kentucky into that conversation, but they're starting to play some really good basketball, and I'm curious to see how far they could go in the month of March. But looking at the SEC standings right now, you have LSU. They actually won their first SEC game against Arkansas way back when. That game feels like 30 years ago. I remember it. I was watching it. But since then, they've lost th- uh, 14 games in a row. It has been bad. You also have Ole Miss sitting at 2-12, and 12, Kermit Davis. I wouldn't be shocked if this is uh, the end for him and Ole Miss is looking for a new head coach next season. Lamont Paris at South Carolina, they're only 3-11. and 11. It's been a down year for them as well. But teams like Florida and Missouri, Georgia, Mississippi State, they feel like teams that could beat or lose to anyone at any time, and that's – kind of how the whole sport of college basketball feels this season. It's been a wild year, and the month of March is going to be even crazier. So I just wanted to say and tell you guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast. We're going to have a ton of great content coming your way as we get closer and closer to the month of March, closer and closer to conference tournament time, closer and closer to the start of the big dance, the NCAA tournament. We'll have plenty of shows on Selection Sunday, after Selection Sunday, breaking down the brackets, and just looking at the SEC right now, conference tournament, that's going to be an awesome week. Can't wait to get into it all with you guys. So that's going to do it. I'll talk to you guys soon. Everyone have a good one, and enjoy the hoops.